look at three verses today. And this is God's word. Jesus speaking. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is kind of an old-timey word, but you know when, uh, when uh, sailors would be out at sea for a long time and uh, someone would finally spot land, you know, the days before radios and stuff, uh, they would spot land, they would say, land ho! And you can imagine that that would be really good news to hear land ho, uh, and everybody comes a running and they see, hey, ho, hey, you know, hey, land, everybody, land ho. Well, um, Isaiah 55.1 reads this way in the New American Standard Version. Uh, in fact, the King James Version has this word also, but the New American Standard Version puts a, an exclamation after the word ho. Um, and so it reads this way. Ho! Everyone who thirsts, come to the water. I mean, that's pretty good news, isn't it? It's, uh, it's hey, hey, everybody. In fact, other translations, most translations say come. Uh, the New American, uh, 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 New English uh, translation says, hey, hey, exclamation point, hey. But that's the idea. Ho, hey. Um, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Wow, that's good news, isn't it? It's something to proclaim. And it goes on, Isaiah 55, 1. And you who have no money. Me? I have no money. Come, buy, and eat. And the person with no money is going, whoa, 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 wait a second. How, how is that possible? I, I, I have no money, and you're saying, come, buy, and eat. Well, the, 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 the scripture writer uh, continues. Yes, come, Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, what a thought. Come and receive this thing that's free. I can't afford it. I know that's the point. It's impossible. I have no resources. I know that's the point. That's the point of of Isaiah 55, and that's the point of the gospel. What is being communicated? You know, it's a seeming contradiction, a paradox. Um, I can't do it, uh, but come and buy. Yeah, it's it's supposed to trip you out. It's supposed to say, um, it's supposed to communicate that uh, you don't have the resources, but uh, you are welcome. You don't have the resources. The supplier of all these things has to do all of the work, and you still come. You still believe. You're still summoned to come. And uh, it, it holds those things in this, this beautiful gospel-rich tension. Um, you can't do it. It's all been provided for you, all of it. Now Come. You don't have the resources, now believe. Um, come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. I know that's hard to understand because it's a divine idea and it's being, it's being thought of by our mortal minds, okay? But I'm telling you that the Bible teaches both. They're seemingly an enigma, but they're not incompatible. And uh, our main idea comes in this form. Come on, thing. A person is saved by grace through faith. Uh, that's a very important uh, a set of words right there. That comes right from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You must never confuse those little italicized words there. A person is saved by grace through faith. It's not through grace and by faith. They're not switchable. It's by grace 
through faith. We're going to explore that further as we look at uh, the situation here with Jesus. Uh, for now, let's go to our first of just two points. Uh, is operating in God's will. Now, when I was making that point, I almost used the word um, subsisting in God's will. Um, I kind of liked subsisting, but I thought if, if subsisting was up there the whole time, it would be kind of distracting. You're like, what is that weird word that no one ever uses? But I like the word because subsisting um, means existing. It means living, all right? But it's, subsisting, I think, also has a little bit of a sprinkle of uh, um, survival mode on top of it, you know? Um, we're, we're in this life. It's not a very easy life. And um, um, how, how do we move forward? How do we operate in God's will? It's not always just sewn up in this neat little Christian life package. Uh, it's tough sometimes. Um, you can see how that immediately applies to your life, can't you? Um, you know, one of the things that cracks me up, speaking of uh, swag seminary, is when you talk to pastors over the years, and even when pastors talk to pastors, but when you talk to pastors, you'll say, oh, hey, pastor, how, how are things going at the church? And they're like, oh, it's so hectic. Oh, it's hectic. Oh, it's so busy. It's busy. And listen, sometimes it's busy and sometimes it's hectic. It's true. But, you know, it's this, oh, ministry is so hectic. Oh, it's so hectic. You know what? Your life is hectic, isn't it? Aren't you busy? Uh, anybody have kids still living at the house? I mean, is your life hectic? By the way, they'll come back when they're 30. Did you know that? And they'll bring a dog. And then they'll, they'll leave, and then they'll leave the dog with you, and then it'll become your dog. Did you know that, that that's, that's how it unfolds in every household? I don't know if you knew that or not. But uh, yeah, it's hectic. I mean, it's hectic. It's, uh, our lives are, are, are torn. We're racing all the time. And, and uh, it's, this, it's this strange it's a strange thing. I, I think sometimes, um, am I just stumbling forward in life, uh, you know, just hoping to make it, or am I operating in God's will? Do you ever feel that way? Am I just stumbling forward, just trying to hang on for dear life, or am I operating in God's will? And can you do both at the same time? I mean, are you sometimes tripping forward, and are you, can you also be operating in God's will? Well, let, let's look at this together. I, I think there's some wonderful resources here for us. And the first thing we need to note about verse 38 is this. When Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, he's mid-idea, all right? So we left off last time, a couple of weeks ago, uh, right there, but he's in mid-idea. What he's doing, it's a continuation of the thought that he, said, that he started in verse um, 37, he says, uh, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's good news. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Wow, so a people have been given to Jesus, and he says this over and over in the Gospel of John, as we'll explore. Um, the, the, God has given me a certain people, and when those people come, those people are safe. Those people are gonna be eternally Okay. I'll never cast them out. And then he continues his thought. He's just said that wonderful news. You go, wow, you're kidding. That's fantastic. And he says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In other words, Jesus is communicating that he and the father's will are in perfect unity. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is uh, deeply involved in Jesus' ministry as shown at the very commencement of his ministry. The Trinitarian God is working this plan of salvation. And the, the Trinitarian God, particularly here, Jesus and the Father, are operating in perfect accord. And make no mistake, um, Jesus says, um, I'm going to do it with a 100% success rate. 
That, that's an important theological distinction for me in my own heart. Um, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I came to do um, not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Um, he, and it, it's kind of like the setup. And if you look at verse 39, check it out. You go, well, what is this thing? Why did you come? What is the will of him who sent you, Jesus? What is all this all about? 39, look at it. For I have come down from heaven, excuse me, yeah, not to do the will of him, but him who sent me, verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me. What is it, Jesus? What is it? This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What profound comfort, friend, that, that Jesus came to rescue you. He didn't came for, come for a little social exercise. He didn't come to become some kind of, a, some, some kind of radical earthly leader. He didn't come to, to, to um, free people from Roman occupation and rule. He came to uh, lose nothing of all that the Father has given him, and Jesus himself will raise it up on the last day. What a, what a, what a statement to our security um, in, in Jesus' work. And that's one of the distinctives, by the way, the gospel of John, where Jesus says, um, it's not my will, but it's the father's will. I didn't come to do what I came to do. I came to do what the father gave me to do. I'm not saying the words that I'm saying. I'm saying the words that the father assigned me to say. That's throughout the gospel of John. In fact, that, that's one of the reasons that um, um, if you're, um, let's say you've got uh, a new Christian, somebody just has come to Christ and they go, where do I start in the Bible? Um, a great place to start is the gospel of John. You say, hey, you know what? Read the Gospel of John, chapter, start in chapter 1, verse 1. Get alone, pray before you read it, and read it slowly and out loud. Just read the Gospel of John. Um, if a person is, uh, let's say you work with somebody, and they're like, what do you believe? This Christianity, what did Jesus do? Isn't the Bible all about tolerance anyway? Isn't that what the Bible's all about? You know what you can say is, I'll tell you what. Read the Gospel of John. Just get alone. Pray that God will show you truth. And uh, read the Gospel of John slowly and out loud would be a good exercise for you. Read the Gospel of John. Why do people do that? Well, because you have this this, uh, very clear uh, demonstration of Jesus as divine. I mean, it's it's just soaked with that. But then you see that Jesus is on a mission. If you earnestly read the Gospel of John front to back, you walk away going, wow, Jesus says it a lot that he was sent by the Father. He's not carrying out his own will. He's carrying out a plan designed by the Father. Um, and in this book, you'll see wild claims as Jesus being divine, as I said. Um, uh, you'll see that uh, Jesus is absolutely the only way a person can come to the Father. You'll see that uh, Jesus is a servant uh, sent precisely to carry out the will of the sender. Really profound stuff. Uh, there's something else in verse 38 that we should spot. Um, uh, right away. And it, it's, it's so easy to read it and miss it. We're Christians. We've been around this stuff and we go, okay, even, even in our study, we read it and we, we just miss a thing. Look at verse 38. Um, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is, what is startlingly profound and revelatory about that? I'll give you a hint. Uh, Christmas is coming up. It's, it's the advent. It's Jesus coming to earth. And listen, you know, you know he's got, a, he's got his, a hearing audience, right? Listen to what he's, imagine being a first hearer. And Jesus says this, I haven't come down from heaven to do my own will. He's saying, I've come down from heaven. Is there any question that Jesus 
is claiming and that the gospel writer is claiming that Jesus is divine, if there's ever been a, a doubt in your mind, I came down from heaven. What a thing, friends. What a thing. What a thing that, that must have been um, for, for them to hear. And what a thing for us to consider what, with the uh, incarnation that we celebrate uh, at Christmas time. So don't let this familiar thing uh, pass you by. Jesus has said that he's come down from heaven. Can you imagine any other person saying that and meaning it? Um, anybody? Can you imagine uh, Alan Schlesinger? Um, I've come down from heaven. You're like, dude, what? What is, can you imagine any human being saying that, that I've come down from heaven? Well, that's what Jesus claims. Well, application for your life. Uh, Jesus is always thinking about the Father's will, and he's always saying that his life is a servant's life. He says it over and over again. Um, and you, you think about his life and his focus on doing the will of God. I mean, everything he does, is th- he's thinking, I need to do the will of the Father. I need to carry it out perfectly and precisely. I need to obey. I need to be in the will of the Father the whole, all the time. Isn't that a question you and I should be asking all the time? Don't you ask that? How, how am I operating in God's will? What is God's will for me? Um, what, what does he want from me? How do I, how do, I do that? I mean, if, you, if our desire is to operate in God's will, we have to ask ourselves a question. How do we do that? And what is God's will for me? Well, don't you just wish that there was some statement in the Bible that would tell you what God's will is for you in a non-confusing way? Don't you wish there was some statement? I got one for you. You don't have to turn. This is just a piece of a, piece of a sentence, but this is in 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God. That's pretty good, isn't it? This is the will of God. Ready? Your sanctification. That's the will of God for you. Um, you know, people ask all the time, they go, what is God doing? In this situation, what is God doing? What is God up to? I just don't understand what God is up to, particularly in suffering. I don't make light of this at all. In suffering, you say, oh man, really? Um, you ever notice that there will often be waves of hardship in your life? Something happens and then somebody dies and then some hard situation and some work thing and some health thing you didn't expect. And, and it, sometimes it just stacks up in, in waves and you go, what is happening? What is God doing? What's the point of all this? You want to know what the point is? Your sanctification. That's your point. What is God up to? What's God's purpose for my life? Your sanctification. Now, ultimately, it's to bring him glory. Ultimately, it's to be relying on Jesus. Ultimately, it's being, well, you know, moving and walking in the power of the Holy Ghost. It's true. But if you put it in a small statement, what is God's will for your life? What is God doing in the situation? Why am I going through this thing? The answer is always your sanctification because God is working good in your life and he's working good with everything, all the components, all the puzzle pieces in your life all the time. If you would flip ahead, please, to Romans uh, 8. Um, verse three, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
Now, that's a lot of stuff in there. And, you know, uh, you could preach on that. Dr. Young could preach on that for about two months. And uh, I could probably preach on that for six weeks. Um, but the thing I want to point out in that to you is this. Look at verse 4. Um, God sent his own son. In verse 4, it says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be, here it is, fulfilled in us. Jesus lived the perfect life. He laid down the perfect life. But why did he do that? Because God's in the business of sanctification. It's not that we obey, that we earn points. Not at all. God accomplished everything. But what is God doing? That the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Christ paid the sin debt. He lived the requirement, okay? But now God is in the, the business of working out righteousness in us that we operate and think and behave more and more like Christ, you know, guys, um, on the news, tragedy strikes, and, and people don't know what to say. They don't know what to say. Um, in fact, we are now in the, are we in, living in a strange time or what? I mean, you thought, uh, you thought Hollywood and its set of, more, its, its set of uh, values uh, was, could be, is, was unshakable. I mean, they just run everything, and media runs everything, and communicates anything they want, and Christians are a bunch of stupid idiots, you know, a bunch of hasty dummies, and all that business, and now Hollywood's rocked, and the whole country's rocked, and uh, the, 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 we're the epicenter, and it, and it pours out into the world. Um, what's, what's good and bad? I mean, you got shootings, and you got uh, uh, sexual harassment, and, and uh, you know, people are like, hey, that shouldn't be happening. That's terrible. I can't believe this happens in, in uh, this day and age. Uh, that's terrible. Why is it terrible? Well, it's just awful. Uh, why? Because it made, it, it made me uncomfortable. Well, so what? Is it right or is it wrong? Is it good or is it evil? See, once you take out right and wrong, good and evil, and you take out God and there's no, there's no standard, then it's just whatever society is. Well, who cares if somebody's harassing? No, so who cares if somebody's shooting? Who cares if somebody's cheating? If there's no standard of right and wrong, who cares? Well, so on the news, they say things like a tragedy will happen and the anchorman will go, our hopes and prayers are with you. And I think, what does that mean? Blah, I give you my blah, namaste, you know, blah, 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 radar, my, our radar is with you. I mean, what are they saying? Well, basically what they're saying, now, on the one hand, it's silliness, but on the other hand, um, in an old-timey way of talking, like, does anybody, anybody a Sherlock Holmes fan? Yay, what about it? A couple, what about it? Well, you know, Sherlock Holmes will say, they'll say, oh, Mr. Holmes, this terrible thing happened, blah, 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 and they'll, he'll say, steady yourself with this brandy, you know, and all right, and, uh, and they say, I must tell you the whole story, and Holmes will say, pray tell. When he says, pray tell, what are you saying? He's saying, I hope you'll tell it all, pray tell. You know, bring it, bring your game, like spill it all out. I, I want to hear all of it. I hope you'll tell it. All right, so on the news, they say our hopes and prayers are with you. Well, um, isn't it nice to know that Jesus secures the reality of our rescue? We don't just go, I hope I'm going to be okay. I hope what, it, what that guy did on the cross all those years ago, I hope that'll suffice. You don't have to, you don't have to hope in that way. You don't have to pray tell like, I, I hope it all pours forth in my best interest. No, friends. Jesus has secured that. Um, you, you don't have to turn, but let me just jump here real quick. Um, um, this is in 
Numbers 21, and we've turned to this a bunch of times, but in Numbers 21, um, you know, the, the, um, the people, um, they, they complain against God and they say, why have you brought us out in the wilderness and so on? And they sin and um, Moses puts this uh, snake up on a, a pole and uh, everyone who is bitten by a snake looks at the snake up on a pole and if they, if they look upon it, they'll live. In other words, it's this, it's this device God uses in the midst of this people who are being, are being judged. They're being bitten by snakes. And if they look, they've got a death sentence. They've been, eh. And if they look upon what's hanging up there, they'll be saved. It's, it's, not the, it's, not the, it's not the motion. It's not some kind of magic incantation. It is, okay, you said that if I look up there and believe that I'll be okay, I'll be okay. So I'm going to believe, and here's me believing. And that's the gospel. And that, that's why it says um, in, in our chapter, in, uh, in the Gospel of John, in, uh, in chapter 3, that's why it says, um, yeah, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's what coming to Christ is. It is saying, okay, the Bible presents this great, ter- this terrible problem, this terrible problem of separation of a sinner and God. And God's provided a remedy. And the remedy is he sent someone in your place as a substitute. And if you believe in him, that he's the savior, you'll live. That's the gospel. And what your heart has to do is go, okay, God, here I go. I'm going to open my eyes. I'm going to take the step. I'm going to walk across the razor's edge. I'm going I'm I'm to leap over the abyss and see what happens. I open my eyes and I behold this Christ and I say, I believe that Jesus accomplished this for me in my place, took my punishment. You'll be saved. That's the gospel message. Um, and, you know, it just gives us, it gives life purpose. Um, it gives living purpose. In our passage here in verse 40, it says, this is the will of my father. Everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, there's a purpose to life. There's a purpose to the whole world. The purpose of God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is to save man. Look up, I say, and look to eternity, the blessed, glorious God and his purpose. And uh, I say to you that that's, that's, um, that's your application. That's what it is to operate in God's will as a Christian. Um, we come to Christ uh, savingly, but then we have to look to God and look to God and look to God living as the Savior lived uh, in happy, submissive, uh, servant-mindedness uh, as the Father's will is manis- manifested in our lives. Uh, it's the same thing for you and me, dear Christian. All right, our second point, we're in the home stretch. living like a possessor of life. Uh, now, I got two words in there, living like a possessor of life. Now, that seems a little wacky. I mean, the assumption is we're living. Why wouldn't we live like we have life? Okay, well, the idea is this. Um, we're all living, we're all breathing, we're walking, we're thinking, we're thinking through things right now. Um, but you know, in verse 35, um, it says, uh, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, when you read that, do you think that Jesus is talking about the physical realm? Does, do you think that Jesus is communicating to his hearers, if you believe in me, you'll never need another ice cold Diet Coke, ever again. You'll never have to drink again. You'll never have to have any water or bread if you believe in me. You think he's talking about the physical realm or the spiritual realm? Obviously, the spiritual realm. 
They know it. He knows it. He's communicating it to people who are living beings, but he's saying there's something else about living. There's some other aspect of being a human being, uh, a, a, a soul bearer um, that, that uh, is, is, is bigger than just this life. He's speaking of eternal things and what he came to do for that soul. Um, in Luke 19.10, it says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew it says, uh, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, um, in our study of the Gospel of John uh, over these past months, who seems to be doing like the saving work? Is it God? Is it man crying out, say, oh, we need some help. God, uh, uh, here, we're going to give you some stuff that we hope you're, hope you're happy with it. Is, who's the instigator in all this? It's God. It's God. It's God. It's God. And if anything, especially you hear now the words of Jesus, and it, you know, it rocks your world a little bit, doesn't it? And Jesus says, hey, um, uh, everyone who comes to me has been given to me, assigned, like by name. And anyone who comes, I'll never cast out, and I'm going to raise them up on the last day. That's very specific. You have to do something with that. It, it's, it's, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll blow your mind a little bit. Um, the emphasis is on God doing all the work. But is there any participation on our part? God's doing it all, 100%. But what, what do we have to do? Well, in verse 40, it says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up in the last day. So is God doing all the work? Does the Bible teach us God's doing all the work? Yep. Does the Bible teach that you have to believe? Yep. The Bible holds that in tension, and they are not in competition. They are realities that coexist. Hey, if you want a good book, um, is, I think it's J.I. Packer, isn't it? The Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Is that Packer? If you want a good book, read, get, get Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. Why should we evangelize if God's in charge? Read that book. Um, the Bible holds those things uh, gladly uh, in tension. So how do we reconcile those things, that God does all the saving and that we have to believe to be saved? Well, here's an awesome quote that I just have loved. Um, this uh, preacher says, um, my family once lived on a busy street with uh, very little play space in our yard. So he's in, I think, Philadelphia. I think this guy's in Philadelphia. Um, but there was a park across the street to which we would often take our small children. The street crossing was dangerous with automobiles flying past at high speed like a city street, you know? And uh, so uh, as we approached the intersection, my wife and I would cry out, hold on to our hands. Frightened, our little children did. But their safety did not ultimately depend on their own little grips, for we were also holding them tightly in our hands. Man, that's a good illustration. Are the kids hanging on? Yeah. Is there a little puny little grip? Is, is that the source of their safety? No. They're holding on, but who's holding on really? Mom and dad are holding on. That's the real source of the safety. So yeah, there's activity. Do we believe? Yep. Uh, Are we supposed to come? Yep. Who's holding us? Whose plan is it? Who's forging it? It is God. Uh, You know, guys, um, I've got a, a little staff. I've got a crew of nerds, you know. I've got uh, nerd one is Chris Sparks. Nerd two is Jason Rickenbacker. He's not married. And uh, nerd three is John Simpson and our secretary, Jean Elliott, who's awesome. 
And, uh, but it's just been so fun to watch Jason, who's not married yet. And uh, he'll say not married things. And uh, we'll be like, what? You know, like even, even somebody about his age is like, shove it a what, dude? Are you kidding? And uh, like one of them was, this, I, I'm straying from my notes a little bit, but one of them, this is about a year or two ago. He goes, yeah, I guess the longer you've been married, uh, the, 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 less of a, the less of a, you know, uh, feeling de- the death of your spouse would be because, uh, you know, you've been waiting for it so long. <laughs> and uh, all, all the married people are like, shove it a what? <laughs> Dude, it's worse. I mean, 56 years of life spent together. I mean, listen, we're coming up on 27. It's awesome. But wow, 56, I mean, that's got to be something. Anyway, things like that. But here's another one he said that was just so adorable. Um, he said... Um, we were talking about, oh, dementia and, and, and mental deficits. And, you know, our, our, you know our, our brains are all atrophying. Did you know that? Our brains are all shrinking. And that's one of the reasons when old people, when old people fall. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> when I asked a doctor about this. I asked John Roberts about it. I said, when old people fall, why is it such a big deal? He said, your brain shrinks. And when you go kaboink, there's, it goes da-da-da. <laughs> Inside, I mean, there's a physical reality to that, that, you know, a pretty simple one. Anyway, Jason said something like, I guess if you're, uh, and, and I confess, I thought this too years and years ago. Uh, he said, if you're a Christian, you know, and you have to think through these things and believe this certain thing, then, then God will protect your mental faculties the whole way through. Um, you know, like Bob Wood. And I'm like, praise God for Bob Wood. Uh, but no. We lose it. We're, you know, these bodies are dying and the brain is an organ. Uh, my, my point is, friends, if you're staking your security on what I have done with my belief system and God and his strong grip isn't the, isn't the source of your security, what happens when you lose it? What happens if you get Alzheimer's and you can't remember who you are or who your spouse is? What, what happens if you're not talking anymore? When, then where is your security? What I'm saying to you is, don't you think that uh, you're in better hands trusting the sovereign saving work of the Father? All right, <clears throat> let's, uh, let's close it up because we, we're, we're out of time. But um, I say a person is saved by grace through faith. All right, here's a Jim Imloff original quote. It's probably highly flawed the more you think about it because it's an earthly illustration, but, but here you go. You want to know how to understand that? Why that's such an important arrangement, a person to say, by grace, through faith. Grace is Amazon. Faith is UPS. You get it? You're getting what you need from Amazon. The way it's getting to you is UPS. You flip those around, you ain't getting much. You call up UPS to try to order things, and they send it through Amazon. That's a problem. You get the reality? It's by grace through the vehicle of faith. That's why we're saved by grace. That's why faith is also a gift. Now, let's end where we started. Is anyone thirsty? Ho, is anyone thirsty? Hey, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and buy wine and milk. Come, eat. It's all free. You get that? By grace, through the vehicle of faith, God is doing the instigating. We're gripping, but we're safe in his eternal grip.
Lord Jesus, we are um, humbled to consider this great gospel, and at the same time, our hearts are warmed, remembering that uh, even though we've come, even though we believe, even though we beseech you and and uh, ask that you would do things in our lives and ask that you would help us move forward, uh, even as we feel like we're stumbling. Uh, We rest in the fact that you, in your great eternal loving grip, have us, and that our Savior has even said, not one of them will be lost, and that all of them will be raised in glory. We rest in that great reality. We come only in Jesus' name, and we rejoice. Amen. Thanks, everybody.